Hello, and welcome to The Artist Pivot, a weekly conversation with artists about their current pivot, past pivots, and every pivot in between. I am your host, Ayana Major Bay, an actress who wants to educate, empower, and celebrate artists so they have no option but to thrive. On this episode, I am joined by conductor Ryan Bancroft. He is originally from Los Angeles, California, and is currently the principal conductor with the BBC National Orchestra of Wales. He studied trumpet at the California Institute of the Arts and received his Master's of Music in Orchestral Conducting from the Royal Conservatory of Scotland. According to the Pool Alumni Magazine of CalArts, the Malco Prize is akin to the Grammy Award for Best New Artist, or being named NBA Rookie of the Year. And Ryan won this award. In 2018, he won both first prize and audience prize at the prestigious Malco Competition for Young Conductors in Copenhagen, Denmark. And the rest is history. We discuss how music entered his life, his voluntary pivot from trumpet player to conductor, and how the involuntary life halt that was brought on by the pandemic has turned into a necessary time to help him find his balance. Here's our conversation. All right, y'all. On this episode, joining me, I have my friend, Mr. Ryan Bancroft. Hey, Ryan. I'm so happy to hear your voice. (laughs) I'm happy to hear yours, too. Oh, how are you doing? And actually, more specifically, how does your soul feel today? And have you had enough water? Like, what Mm -hmm. are your hydration levels like? Yes, my hydration levels today are great. Yesterday, they were not great. I had a pretty (laughs) bad headache yesterday, and that was a lesson that I learned and Mm -hmm. tend to be learning over and over and over again for some reason in my adult life. But today, Mm -hmm. I made sure I was extra hydrated, and my soul is is doing all right. It, it's it it could be better. It could be much 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 worse. But I would say today is a good day. I don't know. Maybe I just had a good dinner or something. But it was it was not bad. Yes, yes. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. And I ask that because you know nowadays, how are you? Is such a loaded question. Absolutely. So I'm like, I'm gonna break it down. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No. No. I appreciate it. Yes, yes, you got it, you got it. Y'all, I'm so excited to have Ryan with me. So like a little tidbit, um, we went to grad school together and he's kind of the reason I survived. Like, <laughs> I mean, I have to say you like very literally are the, the reason I survived <laughs> in Scotland. I remember, and I'll remember this for the rest of my life. There was one time I was so broke, so unbelievably broke that you bought my groceries and I will remember that for the rest of my life. And yeah, it's, it's just something that really great friends do. And yeah, here we are. Yeah, and here we are. You're so welcome. I, I will buy your groceries anytime. Oh, same, same. I can do that now. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. So I want to let's let's go back to the beginning because I know we'll get to, you know, your current pivot since we're on the artist pivot. And I want to take the listeners back. And by that, I mean, you know, I've had actors and dancers and um, singers on my show even. But y'all, Ryan is a trumpet player turned conductor. And I am here for his story. Like I'm here for it and all of the voluntary and involuntary pivots he's made in his life. So like, Ryan, like, take me back. Like, how did you even pick up your first instrument? 
and, you know, what drew you to music and then that journey you took from a trumpet player to now like <laughs> hair flip an international conductor. So like. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, um, it's quite simple. I, I don't come from a very musical family, which, you know, a lot of musicians are are similar to that. Um, in my case, it was it was a public school program that I was in. Um, when I was in the second grade, I was offered a recorder to play. I really hated that. Um, so the third grade, I said, okay, well, I'm allowed to pick up a string instrument now. So I picked up the violin. I was horrendous at that. So I thought, okay, maybe this is not going to work out for me. Um, mm-hmm. But in the fourth grade, I don't know, maybe it was because we were growing up and our lungs are, were big enough now, we were allowed to actually pick up a wind instrument. So I decided to pick up the trumpet because it had three buttons on it, which to me meant I only had to play three notes, which meant it was going to be very easy. Um, little did I know that was the opposite of the case. <laughs> so, um, but I do, I do remember um, the very first time getting a trumpet, my, my father bought me a really, really cheap trumpet from a sort of a used instrument store that we lived near. And on the drive home, I took it out of the case just to try to make a sound on it, having never made a sound on it. And the very first time that I buzzed into the mouthpiece, I actually made a sound. And for some reason since then, music has kind of stuck. And then eventually I took private lessons and whatnot. And, um, and did, you know, all state type things. And I went to music camps and then went to college. Um, and then, yeah, here, here I am. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love it. I love it. So when you did go to college, did you major as like a trumpet player? I did. Yes. Yeah. I got okay. my, my bachelor's degree and my first master's degree in trumpet performance at California Institute of the Arts in Valencia, California. Yes, yes. And also, I want y'all to um, take a listen. He said his first master's degree was in trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to toy with this because I know this is this is not a flex whatsoever. I call it, I literally just didn't figure it out yet. I have three master's degrees. <laughs> and uh, the reason why I say I didn't figure it out is because my mom said that to me one time. It's like, really, have you not figured it out yet? It's like, well, <laughs> well maybe not. Um, but I like to think that three master's degrees equals a doctorate. So I, that's what I tell myself. I'm here for it. Yes. I'm here for it. Three <laughs> master's degrees equals a doctorate. I'm here for it. But I'm also here for like, oh, but you know, my first master's was this. And then my second master's was this. Oh, and then my third was this. Casual. Ca- just casual. Yes. Casual. Yes. <laughs> so, then, <laughs> yes. so <laughs> I want to ask you about your transition from being a trumpet player into a conductor, because that was a pivot. That was, you know, and did you ever think about becoming a conductor or was this something that kind of just happened? It was not a major thing in my life. I was always, you know, aware of conductors just as any musician is, you know, or an MD of some sort. Um, Either you're working with them on a show or you're in a sort of, you know, beginner's band in school or string orchestra or something like that. So that person was always there. And I just so happened, for the most part, have really great teachers growing up Mm -hmm. that taught me a lot about music. So for me, the conductor, at least when I was younger, was very much so a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so I was sort of going through the rounds. I did my bachelor's and my master's in Los Angeles and sort of towards... um, 
the beginning of my master's degree, trumpet started to feel, um, how do I say? It started to feel more like an ability rather than a passion. And Mm, I don't know, I feel like for a lot of artists, when it starts to just feel like a job, that's when a lot of questioning starts to come in. Mm -hmm. Um, And then unfortunately, uh, during that time coincided the untimely death of my father uh, back in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically what happened was he passed away. I thought, okay, well, what could I do? I don't, I don't know what to do in this situation. So, I mean, I know what I do is music. So I thought, well, maybe I should, uh, put on a concert for him. And I know, mm-hmm. um, my father's favorite piece of classical music was Mozart's Requiem, which became really popular in the movie Amadeus, which came out, I think, in 1989 or 1988 or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just so happened to be the movie that my parents went on their very first date with each other. Um, Wow. Yeah, I know, which is super cute, adorable. Um, So I decided to put on this concert a month, uh, essentially a month or a month and a half later. I got together a bunch of my friends to be in the choir. I got a bunch of my friends to be in the orchestra. Now, mind you, the only conducting experience I had at that time was being the assistant drum major for my marching band in high school. So I can't say there was much experience there. (laughs) Um, But I thought, you know, who else is going to do it? So I thought, okay, I might as well put it together. I might as well conduct it. Um, And of course, it was an incredibly somber occasion. It was... um, very sad. And and to this day, I still have not listened to the piece. But at the same time, all of a sudden, there is this new thing in my life that sort of lit a fire in my my behind. And I just thought, okay, well, this is really interesting. This is um, really creatively engaging for me. And Mm -hmm. also the thing that was most, most, most important to me is I felt that I was so bad at it. And for some reason, yeah, with, with, with trumpet, Mm -hmm. I had that initial thought when I was, I don't know, six or seven years old when I, when I picked up the trumpet of like, Oh, I can do this. And Mm. so until like the end of my master's degree, when it came to trumpet, it wasn't that I was, you know, extremely hyper confident about my abilities on the trumpet. Um, but I did feel that I had a certain ability with the trumpet that I was able to get the job done and then move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. which for me was not terribly interesting. Um, whereas when it came to conducting, all of a sudden this entire world opened up that I was not even aware of. And all of a sudden, all this music that I had loved so much, I was able to be in direct contact with. So sort of this combination of a very unfortunate event happening, plus feeling genuinely really bad at the craft. And honestly, that feeling still has not left, but I've been able to manage it. And it's become honestly a driving force. And if anything, it's sort of transitioned into this is never ending, which for me is a Mm. much better space to live in than, oh, this is an ability. Right, right. Like, in essence, you're saying you kind of, you were, is is complacent the right word? I don't know if that's the right word, but like with your trumpet, you were just like complacent with it. You're like, ah, yeah, I got this. I could do this, you know, blindfolded with one hand and like sitting in a pool. Like, you're like, I I could do this. Well, well, 
I would actually say I was able to go 95% with it and I wasn't willing to go the extra 5%. Mm, That's really what it is. I mean, when it came down to it, I could get... I could get the job done for the most part. I knew the people in Los Angeles that I played with. Um, I trusted them. They trusted me. But I wasn't willing to go that extra 5% to do something truly meaningful for me. Mm. And for me, that voice didn't include me performing on the trumpet. Now, that doesn't mean that other people don't have that voice. Of course, other people have that voice. Um, When it came to me, oh gosh, it... I, I just wasn't willing to do it. And there was, there was just, yeah, piv- a very pivotal moment, not to sound cliche, a pivotal moment of thinking to myself, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? And it just so happened to coincide when I transitioned to conducting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Understood, understood. And so with that transition, was it easy for you then to continue? No, you know, did you... You know, like when we met in grad school, mm. that was, you were like, okay, now I'm going to go get a master's in conducting. Did you always feel that was the next step that I needed to feel confident and to gain the skills that I needed? Because this is the new path that I'm now, you know, pivoting onto. It was the path that was suggested to me, actually. Okay. I, okay. I started um, af- after that uh the memorial performance for my father, I started putting together small projects uh, of, again, of just friends. So like small groups of nine, 10, 11 people or something like that I would conduct. And because they were my good friends, they could give me feedback and we could talk about it. And it was really just for small performances at Cal Mm -hmm. arts where I went to school. And so uh, eventually it, it just became this bug that I couldn't get rid of. I really needed to, learn more about this. And so I talked with my trumpet teacher back at CalArts. His name is Edward Carroll. And he's also a conductor as well, too. And he thought, well, why don't you try and think about studying it? If you're really interested in this, then you really should, you know, get some formal education with it. And you know what? Just so happens that the principal of the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland is a trumpet player, John Wallace. And of course, I knew who John Wallace was because I met him at trumpet seminars before and whatnot. So I thought, okay, well, you know, I might as well give it a shot. So the RCS or the the conservatory in Scotland was the one and only school that I applied to for conducting, just hoping that maybe something would happen. Um, And then thankfully I got in. So from the minute that I, you know, landed on the soil in Scotland, I was there on a mission. That mission was to essentially start a different identity in my career. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ooh, I love it. Yes, a different identity in your career. Ooh, mm. yes. Which I'm actually going to make a note because we we're going to talk about that in a second. Sure. Hold on. Let me, you know, sure. write this down right now. Okay. Um, but so give me a little bit of your life as a conductor, you know, after you graduated from um, the Royal Conservatoire and, you know, you out here literally in a different country each week directing mm-hmm. different orchestras. Just, just give me a little bit of that, what that lifestyle is like before the pandemic. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that was <laughs> hilarious. Um, so before, um, I mean, back in 2018, there was a competition that I did that well, thankfully opened up quite a lot of doors for me. Um, but the main door that that opened up was my front door because I was constantly stepping outside of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. and for me, I essentially was was living out of my suitcase for the most part. Um, I Mm -hmm. was doing laundry in hotels. I was in a different country 
every single week, um, oftentimes uh, going back and forth from my home. At that time, I was living in Amsterdam, um, going back and forth from Amsterdam to Helsinki, and then back to Amsterdam, and then flying to Romania, and then flying to London, and flying to Paris. Um, And this was very constant, um, maybe even a bit too constant. Um, But yeah, before the pandemic broke out, um, it was an every week different place, sometimes not even knowing where I was going two weeks after that. I was always aware sort of in a two week um, period, I was aware, but my schedule, you know, by the grace of God was pretty much already set after that. So I just kind of had to trust my, my Google calendar to let me know where I was going next. (laughs) (laughs) Understood. Understood. You were like, Google child, tell me where I need to be. (laughs) Yes. My assistant Google calendar. (laughs) My assistant Google calendar. What country do I need to be in? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so as with all of us, you know, the pandemic in the year that was 2020 and now into what seemingly is 2021, you know, kind of we're on the same trail. Um, You know, what voluntary pivots have you, or actually, let me not even say that, what involuntary and voluntary pivots have you made in 2020, whether it be with your career, with your personal life, with, you know, I know you told me earlier that 2020 is like putting things back in focus for you mm. and like what's really important. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that the involuntary pivot of essentially stopping all mm. of this traveling, all of this wonderful music making and meeting new people and stuff, surprisingly has now turned into a more voluntary pivot, actually. I know for myself, with with the pattern that was happening before, where, again, I was living a life, you know, that I dreamed about for the most part, and it just so happened that it happened so quickly with me, which, again, I'm very, very thankful for. Um, But when it comes down to it, at least for me, Music is all about real life experience and connecting with humans on a personal level and, you know, going out and, you know, smelling the roses. Sorry, you know, sorry for the cliche, but mm-hmm. like going out, being able to live a life and and genuinely find what's, you know, what makes you tick and what's in, what's incredibly important to you. And I have to say, I, I learned very quickly that, you know, airports are not important to me. Music making is important to me, um, mm-hmm. but you know, checking in and out of hotels, you know, I can, I, I can do without that for the, you know, I can definitely do without that. Um, but being with my partner, seeing my friends, having a cup of coffee in a really nice cafe somewhere, that that is incredibly important to me, and for the most part, it informs my music making more than anything. Of course, like, you know, I have to, I have to and want to study the music that I'm doing. Of course, I want to mm-hmm. dive into that as deep as I possibly can, but it has to be in balance with everything else in my life now. So, you know, involuntarily, I was grounded very much. So literally, literally, figuratively, rhetorically, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. it's turned into a, okay, if this is going to continue how it was before, 
there has to be a very real change of me being aware of the balance in my life and not mm-hmm. essentially wearing myself out. Um, now, of course, that's that's a more that's a more personal thing. For on, on a more musical basis, being able to start to see a lot more underserved music that hasn't been performed by the classical music uh, conglomerate, if you will, being mm-hmm. able to see performers that are not um, that are not hired as much as other wonderful performers being able to be a lot more hyper aware of that and hyper aware of, you know, a lot of inequality that's happening in the world that, that has been really fascinating and it's definitely got me really inspired and has opened up my world to just being so much more aware of the extreme quality that works that, sorry, that lives in our world. We have so much quality music that in this world that deserves to be heard. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's been a little something that I've been focusing on a lot more than I was before. Whereas before I was just sort of going from city to city. Right. Right. I love it. I love it. So, (laughs) you know, your involuntary pivot has now turned into a voluntary one that will, you know, inform how you return to your conducting and like, you know, your life has to be in balance. And also, you know, now looking at music that you said is like, yeah, this is underserved and we need to, we need to, to um, have this played by more classical orchestras and, and the people who typically aren't, you know, um, playing in the orchestra need to be there. Absolutely. And also when you were mentioning, you know, like coffee shops, sitting in a coffee shop is important to you. I'm like, in my back of my head, I'm like, is that why we were always in a coffee shop? Yes. Like, <laughs> y'all, me and Ryan, when we were in Scotland, we're always sitting in somebody's coffee shop. It's true. It's true. There were, I mean, come on, like, listen, Glasgow had some mm-hmm. good coffee shops. You yes. know? I, yes, I mean, for, for me, Glasgow holds a very fond, fond place in my heart, as I'm sure it does for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, but for me, honestly, the things that I remember most about the place is those meetings in coffee shops. Yeah. Yes. I do too. I agree mm-hmm. with you. I mm-hmm. do too. We were always in somebody's coffee shop, I but I loved it. I, know. I loved it. Our best, our best adventures came out of sitting in a coffee shop going, you know, we should do this. It's true. It's true. I think we planned our Christmas trip to Paris in a coffee shop, as a matter of fact. I think we actually did. I think we did. Yes. Amazing. Y'all, the best, the best ideas come out of coffee shops in Glasgow. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, so I want to go back to something you said and circle back to this about your identity in your career or, you know, your identity as a musician. And you had a voluntary pivot from being a trumpet player into a conductor. And you were like, oh, I like this. I like this new identity that I have as a conductor. But now have you felt, because in in essence, as artists, our identities of our careers have kind of been stripped from us just a little bit. Yeah. And so have you found it easy or hard to you know, continue finding balance when that sort of portion of you as a person is kind of on the shelf? Mm. I, 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 well, it's, it's, it's a little bit different, actually. I don't find that, you know, the career identity has been put on the shelf because, you know, as a, as a principal conductor of, of, you know, a professional symphony orchestra, 
Um, you know, there's there's admin work that needs to happen. Of course, mm, I'm yes, very yes. much so connected with that. I'm okay. extremely, extremely fortunate that I get to perform with them still. We've been very, very careful with um, health and safety in our building. And thankfully, we have um, quite a lot of um, ability to perform within our hall. So we mm, okay. have been performing, um, again, by the grace of God. And for me... You know, it's it's been more interesting being away from it actually, because you know the the role the role of a conductor in an orchestra is that of a leader, and to mm-hmm. be a leader, of course, there's you know there's some vulnerability that comes with that, and as a musician, there's a whole lot of vulnerability that comes with that. So mm-hmm. having this time off, I've been able to essentially reflect on what has been happening over the past few years, um, how I've needed to reach out to friends to help me with that as well too, and to family. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, realize that what is most important is not Ryan as the leader or Ryan as the conductor or Ryan as the musician or, you know, Ryan as the trumpet player. It, what's most important is figuring out what just, just simply Ryan, what makes him tick what makes him fulfilled what you know essentially replenishes ryan's superpowers if you will mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. if i'm constantly giving and not receiving not not being able to to do the things that i know that helps my creative juices flow then it's a disservice to the music and it's a disservice to the people that i'm working with um, so if anything, my identity from being a trumpet player to being a conductor as a trumpet player, I was very much so aware, at least to myself, that I was, you know, a pawn in a piece of a bigger puzzle. Now as a conductor, I'm aware that I'm a little bit more on the outskirts of the game looking in. Mm. I'm a little bit more... I mean, dare I say, on the coaching side where, you know, the Mm -hmm. most amazing athletes are on the field that are so talented and I'm just sort of on the outside making sure that they've got what they need, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that means, you know, being aware of, like, knowing when to not get in the way or knowing when to to get in the way or knowing when to help or to be spontaneous. So it's it's just a, a very different job than me essentially, you know, just being a trumpet player, how I saw just being a mm-hmm. trumpet player was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Understood. Understood. And and thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Of course. And I would like to ask you in this whole moving forward, is there any words of advice or just like encouragement or like, you got this, y'all, like that you would give other artists, no matter what, you know, medium they're in, actors, dancers, costume designers, conductors, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, honestly, give yourself a break. <laughs> like, you know, because I, listen, I know it, it, it's been pounded into our head via media that this, you know, like we are in quarantine and we're in isolation. There's all these trigger words that are happening with this, but we have to also be very aware of the fact that this is not normal. What Mm -hmm. is happening right now happened a hundred years ago, you know, and of course this has happened throughout history, but this is not normal and it's normal to be exhausted. 
And at the end of the day, when it comes to being an artist, someone that's a creative, for the most part, this job, it chooses you. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that if you start to think about doing something else or start to think about, I don't know, pivoting to something else or start to think about something else becoming a little bit more interesting, that doesn't mean that you've lost your way with being an artist. All that means is your brain is big enough, is open enough, your heart is open enough to accept many other things into your life as well too. And I'm sorry, but you know, to be an artist... It, it chooses you. You don't always choose it. So it's not going to go away. It never will go away. And to be honest, the most beautiful art comes out of these trying times. That's History has shown that. History shows that time and time again. And you really have to give yourself a break because if you don't, it's just going to tire yourself out more. And yeah, like you said, you've got this. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was beautiful. No, I'm glad. Yes. Oh, that, that was beautiful, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as we wrap up here, I want to know, um, make, let me make sure I have this right. You're with now the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. And so you still get to play with them, but with, you know, COVID guidelines and all of that. Thankfully, yes. And there, there are some other orchestras that I, I go to here and there as well. Um, of course, COVID permitting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Understood. Understood. Oh, Ryan, thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. I just, even though I know a little bit about your journey, I just learned so much and I'm hoping that others did too about, you know, a conductor, y'all. <laughs> he is a conductor. My friend's a conductor. Y'all. <laughs> I just, I love it. And I love, like, I love watching him. Um, I actually haven't, I haven't seen, I think I've seen you conduct maybe about three or four times. Yeah. Because he's always in a country that I can't get to. <laughs> people like oh I'm in Paris directing next week well um, I'm in like Florida doing a show like I can't get there <laughs> but, <laughs> but y'all, y'all know it's all, it's on my list like I want to see him direct the BBC National Orchestra of Wales so you know I'm gonna get out there oh that would be amazing I mean I have I'm sorry I have to say like I know you said that you know a little bit of my journey you you are a part of my journey like that's it's not yes. you, you definitely are not on the outskirts of this you are absolutely imperative to it all and thank you so much oh thank you ryan thank you my friend but before i let you go before i i can't forget this yes so before i let you go what i have to say to you is i acknowledge you i celebrate you and i uplift you thank you so much that's really beautiful you're welcome you're welcome ryan thank you so much my friend Thank you. You are so right. The arts does call you. So don't worry about losing your spark while doing something else. The arts will continue to call you. Finding the balance in this time between what replenishes your soul and what you need to give for your art is vital. I would say take some inventory and see where the scale is at. Also, in the show notes for this episode, there is a link to the CalArts article on Ryan and a YouTube video of him winning the Malco Prize. Do yourself a favor and watch it. Thank you again, Ryan, and thank you for tuning in. I'll speak to you soon.